Hello everybody, Julia here and welcome back to Undressing the Issue uh, where we talk about all things having to do with sex, sexuality, relationships, intimacy, trauma, all of that good stuff. So today I wanted to touch on kind of a juicy subject. Um, I say juicy because I feel like a lot of people talk about this, but they don't really understand it. They don't know that the differences and the different categories. So I kind of wanted to just jump right in and get to it. So my topic for today is narcissism. Ooh, it's a good one. Um, basically, the reason why I want to touch on this is because it's a term that gets tossed around so much. Um, I hear it a lot from people who are in new relationships. Oh, he's a narcissist. Um, when really, it's not necessarily true. We gotta be careful with these labels and diagnoses. Um, can someone have narcissistic traits? Absolutely, I think we all do to some extent. I know I certainly do, <laughs> hello. Um, but just because somebody has a trait that you believe is narcissistic doesn't mean that we can actually call them a narcissist. It could just be that this person is an asshole who commits assholery on a regular basis, but maybe not necessarily a narcissist. So I think it's important to talk about this because with a lot of sex addicts, we see a lot of narcissistic traits. And by we, I mean the royal we, me. Um, there are different behaviors and attributes and personality traits that tend to be common in this population. But there's a difference in what I'm seeing. They're all different. Not every person is the same. Not every sex addict is a narcissist. And not every narcissist is a sex addict. So just want to get those disclaimers out and um, give you more information about what I'm talking about. So... I want to get clear on what we're referring to when we talk about narcissism. So I'm pulling this straight out of the DSM-5 for you guys, and I will try to um, explain as I go through uh, so that it's not clinical, dry, psychobabble. So the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, is kind of like every therapist and psychiatrist's Bible for labeling people, basically. Figuring out what are we looking at in order to give someone a diagnosis. What is it that a person has to display in order to warrant a label. And we've got to be really clear on this because labels stay with people. So this is a delicate matter. So narcissistic personality disorder, NPD, is what we're talking about here. And there's a list of diagnostic criteria that therapists go by. So one of the things that we look for is a pervasive pattern of grandiosity. So whether it's in the way a person thinks of themselves or the way they behave, we're looking for grandiosity, that they think very highly of themselves, that they're just the bee's knees. So what's the difference between grandiosity and good self-esteem, confidence? Well, 
when it's all you see from someone, when they're just bragging, when they're always, you know, right, when they're always um, the ones who should be paid attention to, they're always wanting to be the center of attention, that they're the best at something, no matter what, you can never be better than them at anything. That's what we're talking about when we say grandiosity. Um, this also extends to a need for admiration. They want to be admired and highly regarded. They tend to lack empathy. They tend to have a hard time accessing um, emotions, understanding how they affect other people, which basically is empathy. Um, and beginning by early adulthood, they should have a presentation of some of the following symptoms. So the first one is the grandiose sense of self-importance. Um, so these people may exaggerate their achievements. They may be, you know, the one-upper in conversations, whatever you share. They always have their own story that's like one-up from whatever you just said. Um, they also always want to be superior. They want to be the first in their class, the highest earner, the, the best at everything. Um, another criteria is that they have fantasies of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, all of this stuff. And they're, they're just obsessed with these fantasies. It's not like a once in a while thing. It's like an all the time thing that's on their mind. Um, another criteria is believing that they're special and unique and can only be understood by or relate to or be associated with other people who are equally as unique or special. I mean, come on. Yes, you're unique, just like everybody else. We're all unique, so it's a little bit of an unrealistic perspective. Um, another criteria is that they require excessive admiration. These people need ego strokes like no other. Um, another one is that they have a sense of entitlement. So there's these just unreasonable expectations of special treatment, of people just complying with them, listening to them, doing whatever they want. It's just unusual. It's very egocentric. Um, there's also the trait that they are exploitative. So they may take advantage of people, they may be social climbers, they may have certain things that they do that's in their MO that basically is taking advantage of other people. And of course they lack empathy, um, they can't recognize the needs of others, the feelings of others, it's really hard for them. And they're often envious of other people um, or they think other people are envious of them. Um, and they tend to be arrogant. They tend to have arrogant attitudes, arrogant behaviors, this holier-than-thou kind of thing going on. So as I'm listing these off, I bet you guys listening are thinking of people in your own lives or people you've come across or maybe an ex that you've dated that is just kind of hitting all of these points. Yeah, you've probably come across a narcissist. Chances are you have. But not all narcissists are the same and not all of them possess every single one of these 
little characteristics I just read off to you. So some of them will have just one of these characteristics that tends to dominate. Some of them will have a couple. Some of them may have a lot of them, but still doesn't mean that they qualify. Like you've really got to assess this person closely, look at their history with this and really take a look and see what, where this behavior is coming from. So don't try to diagnose. Um, just so you know, every single therapist that goes through grad school when they're learning about the DSM and diagnoses, everybody tries to diagnose themselves. I was convinced that I had Asperger's for like a solid year in grad school, but that is not the case. But be careful with diagnosing others. It's not a good thing to do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're still going to be tempted to think of people that remind us of these traits. So in speaking of people that remind us, I want to talk about the different types of narcissists. So there's a lot of um, controversy around this because basically some people believe that it's kind of this like straightforward thing or it's on a spectrum with basically variations in severity. And then there are other people who believe that there are actual types. And just for the record, in the DSM, it's not split out by types, but a lot of people talk about types. So a type that you've probably heard about quite a bit is something called a malignant narcissist. We hear malignant, we think we've heard that word when we talk about cancer. It's a tumor that is not contained and it keeps growing and becoming progressively worse. So malignant narcissists are kind of a grandiose type of narcissist. And basically they have they're, they rank a lot higher. Like if we had scales for each one of those traits that I just read off, they would have a high number on that scale, I guess. Sorry, I'm having a blonde moment trying to get my words together. Um, they would be ranked pretty highly in terms of the lack of empathy, the inability to um, understand what others are needing or feeling. Um they tend to be pretty grandiose. They tend to be almost delusional in their grandiosity. Um, they also have very, very little insight into themselves, into their behaviors. They have a hard time taking accountability for anything they do. They're always right. And power and control is usually really important for this type. So grandiose narcissists are one type, but there's another type that people refer to as fragile narcissists. So they also tend to be envious and competitive and critical, um, but they also tend to have not as thick of a skin and their insecurity tends to be a little bit more visible. You can break through that, you know, tough my shit don't stink grandiosity to their mushy, insecure, gooey center. Um, usually the narcissistic traits, the competition, the, um, the grandiosity tends to be a very obvious compensation for feelings of inadequacy and insecurity. And I got to tell you, the majority of 
the sex addicts with whom I work, um, who do have narcissistic traits, they tend to be more often than not fragile narcissists, um, more so than the malignant narcissists. So they tend to have this uh, wall up, these defenses up. They tend to do a lot of uh, compensation type behaviors, trying to kind of cover up or conceal or hide how insecure they are, or how they feel about themselves. So that there's a big difference between the two. So there's there's been a lot of talk about how people believe that malignant narcissists are equivalent to sociopaths. So I want to clarify this, okay? Basically, they're similar and they share a lot of traits. And of the two types, malignant narcissists are closer to sociopaths than fragile narcissists. So when I say sociopath, I want to be clear because the clinical term for that is actually antisocial personality disorder. All of these things that we're talking about today have to do with uh, personality disorders. And those are actually pretty difficult to diagnose concretely, which is why it's not as common for somebody to get that diagnosis. And also when you meet somebody who tells you they have a diagnosis of a personality disorder, oftentimes they get misdiagnosed, but that's gonna be a whole separate episode, I think, because I could go on and on about that and about the DSM, which I hate. But anyway, um, so the reason why malignant narcissists are closer to sociopaths is really because of that lack of empathy component where they really have no remorse um, about exploiting somebody, violating their rights or their boundaries. In that regard, that's where the similarity really comes in um, between malignant narcissists and sociopaths. Now, there's this misconception that sociopaths are like serial killers, <laughs> that they're all violent. Um, that is not necessarily the case. And you can come across a sociopath who isn't necessarily physically violent, but can be verbally aggressive or somebody who will exploit somebody's boundaries um, financially or sexually or in some other ways. So it's, it's a tough thing to really narrow down, but I just want to clear that up, that that's, that's a misconception. They're not all serial killers. Um, sociopaths actually walk among us, and we have probably come across at least one in our lifetime. So it's not that rare of a thing. But again, it's also not necessarily something that we want to be too quick about labeling because if somebody has been um, remorseless or exploitative one time in their life, you know, that doesn't really warrant the label. We've all done crappy things to others or been hurtful. Doesn't mean we're all a bunch of sociopaths. It doesn't work that way. But basically... Um, with, with malignant narcissists, you're really looking at that entitled, um, really self-important, uh, lack of, 
remorse, lack of empathy. They really are manipulative. Um, these are people who basically have very little ability to tap into their own flaws, into what they've done wrong. They have a hard time taking accountability for their behavior. It's really tough to crack those nuts. Basically, to get to that mushy center with the insecurity with a malignant narcissist is damn near impossible. With a fragile narcissist, there is this alternating vacillating thing between the grandiosity and the inadequacy. And usually the inadequacy piece um, tends to be pretty accessible. And sometimes it can take them a while, maybe, you know, some therapy to really be able to see past the grandiosity and the compensating behaviors to really see that insecurity underneath and the reasons why they do those things, why they feel the need to compensate. Um, but usually for them, it's a defense mechanism because for them, the feelings of inadequacy and of insecurity are pretty big and they're uncomfortable. It's definitely way more comfortable to feel like you're the king of the hill, you're at the top, you are powerful, you are respected, than it is to feel like you are less than or you feel small or you're scared or you're anxious or you are afraid that you're going to be rejected. Those types of things are not easy to sit with. But to be able to have a position of righteousness, of course, feels empowering. So it's a defense mechanism. Now, fragile narcissists can also sometimes, because of this vacillation, which is just a fancy word for going back and forth, <laughs> when they go back and forth between their grandiosity, their feeling of being big and mighty and powerful to insecure, inadequate, so on and so forth, they can kind of come off at times as borderline personality disorder people. With borderlines, borderline people tend to have this hot and cold nature about them, this push and pull, where they pull people in, they can be very, very charming and sweet, and then at the drop of a hat, they can all of a sudden push someone away and just turn on them. They can just flip. And that flipping piece is um, where a lot of fragile narcissists can sometimes be misdiagnosed or where they start seeming like they have this, you know, this, this, uh, this borderline feature. But again, it's really hard to say because all of these behaviors serve a function. The same as with any addiction. These are all defense mechanisms. These are all compensations for other discomfort that the person feels. So I'm really careful about putting that label on anybody. I mean, really what I look for is how does this affect a person's life and their relationships and their functioning? And do they have awareness that they exhibit these behaviors? Do they have the ability to see it and then actually feel bad about it? that's a whole other thing, and then want to make up for it. Really, that's the biggest determining factor for me when I work with um, sex addicts and betrayed partners 
in terms of determining their prognosis, if the addict has narcissistic traits and it's brought to their attention that they've been exploitative, they have lacked remorse, they've been abusive, um, they've really been hurtful, and they see it and they go, meh, I don't care. I did what I did. I enjoyed it. I don't feel bad about it. That's a huge red flag for me. <laughs> and as much as most therapists say they're uncomfortable with um, telling their clients or patients, whatever you want to call them, that, you know, you're you're in a bad relationship and you should probably consider leaving. I, for one, have no qualms about saying that to my clients. I don't want to humor them. You know, I, I don't really want to beat around the bush. Of, that's a waste of their time and mine. If I see that a partner is exhibiting these malignant, narcissistic, or sociopathic traits, I'm going to call it out because I think a person deserves to know. And the reality is the prognosis is not good. You know, people like this can gain awareness that they do this, but as far as changing their behaviors after they become aware of them, you can you can really work on it and potentially see some marginal movement on this, but it doesn't mean that they're going to become a completely different person who's like kind and generous and considerate and empathetic and altruistic. Usually you don't see a full 180. You just kind of, you, you'd be lucky if you could see the needle budge just a little bit. So I like to be really honest with people. If that person in their life who is the malignant narcissist has been doing work on themselves for an extended period of time, and we're only seeing a little bit of difference, but we still see a lot of those old manipulative and exploitative and um, harsh insensitive behaviors I mean at some point if a person keeps showing you who they are you got to believe them <laughs> they're letting you know there's your sign so what is it that you're really holding on to and staying with this person are you holding on to who they were before you started seeing these behaviors are you holding on because you're hoping that maybe they'll go back to that well, I mean, if they haven't been that way in a long time and you haven't seen any glimmers of them going back to that, chances are they're probably not going to. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck, it probably is a duck. So call it like you see it. But that may be a whole different thing that you need to work on is this holding on and what that does for you and why you're afraid to let go. That's a whole other topic. But as far as fragile narcissists, so I think I mentioned that these are the majority of the people that I see who tend to have narcissistic traits. They tend to be fragile. They tend to have their own trauma, their own wounds, um, they tend to be kind of uh, unhappy, envious, kind of uh, competitive. And anytime somebody puts them down or they feel like they've been slighted, they tend to have like a big reaction to it because it just pushes right on that nerve around the insecurity and the inadequacy. And it brings it right to the forefront. And that's just really uncomfortable for them. 
they can be pretty angry and aggressive. They can rage, but they will also, at times, they're more likely to come back after that and have a little bit of remorse, more so than the, the malignant narcissists. So there's a big difference between these two, and I think it's important to talk about because I speak with a lot of betrayed partners of sex addicts or just betrayed partners who um, have experienced infidelity who often throw out the term narcissist. You know, this person is a narcissist. Um, I read about it online. You know, good old Dr. Google told me that they definitely meet the diagnostic criteria and I'm concerned. Well, the concern is legit and you should be concerned because chances are, if they really are narcissistic, you're probably going to feel like you're in an abusive relationship. And that's not okay. And even lying, cheating, um, being evasive, like hiding stuff, being secretive, you know, all of these things, as far as I'm concerned, are emotionally abusive. So if you're with somebody who does that relentlessly, and even after they're exposed, they still have a hard time taking ownership of what they've done and how they've made you feel and how they've affected you. You know, you really want to consider if this is something you want to stick around for, if you're hopeful that they could change, if they've given you any indication that they're willing to do the work to change. But really, the name of the game for somebody involved with a narcissist is really firm boundaries. You've really got to get clear on what is and is not tolerable for you. And to not be afraid to implement those boundaries and to implement the consequences of those boundaries being violated if they are violated. And that's really the only way to prevent somebody with narcissistic traits from trying to take advantage of you or exploiting you or abusing you is getting really clear on those behaviors, being able to identify them when they happen, being able to call them out using assertive communication skills. It's a nice therapy term for you. Um, and then following through with whatever you have to do to put a stop to that behavior and that kind of treatment and get yourself out of that situation. Narcissists are always going to pull on people and especially people who tend to be really empathetic. You know, there's a lot of stuff online about, you know, the narcissist and the empath relationship and they tend to be drawn to one another and especially the fragile narcissist. They tend to attract empaths because the empaths can see that gooey, mushy, insecure center and they just want to love them and make them feel better. And then the narcissist that has that mushy center, the fragile narcissist, will pull that in and they like it, but then they're reminded that this person sees that fragile part of them and they go back to that narcissistic part. And it's this push-pull, hot-cold dynamic between the narcissist and the empath. And it tends to be really toxic for the empath. It tends to be really painful they tend to feel stuck because as soon as they start to pull away and set boundaries, the narcissist will flip on them and will be nice and try to pull them back in. So these are complicated dynamics. And again, I want to give you guys some information about what this is 
and what we're talking about when we use these words uh, from a educational clinical perspective um, because I don't want people to misuse them I don't want people to under misunderstand one another um, but also I want to stress and I can't stress it enough the importance of not trying to label someone because labels often are inaccurate and it's really hard to concretely diagnose a personality disorder so you know we all have these traits at one time or another just because we've had them you know for a couple years when we had a rough year and we were depressed doesn't mean that we are forever a narcissist or forever something else it could just mean we had a rough year and we hadn't done our work yet to figure out how to take care of ourselves and how to be in a relationship with other people so I just want to make that point very, very clear. But if you have questions, if you think you're in a relationship with a narcissist or maybe one of your exes was a narcissist, I certainly know mine was, um, feel free to leave feedback and I'd love to hear from you. And if there's anything else you'd like me to touch on, I'm happy to do so. Just drop me a line. All right. Thanks for listening. Have a great day.